Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Kansas mule deer talking to me through my computer screen is Ellen. Maybe one of these days we'll be able to record in person again. Maybe even for next week's episode. Ooh, here's hoping. For now, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 24, Occlumency, and the most basic of corresponding film scenes. Harry doesn't quite understand all the intricacies of legilimency, but he does know it sounds an awful lot like mind reading. Snape's teaching method can best be described as baptism by fire. Ron really needs a lesson in what a mystery is. While Harry is busy trying to protect his mind, the twins are busy disappearing their own. Hermione's Christmas present is the gift that keeps on annoying. And anytime you wake up laughing like Voldemort, it's entirely justifiable to be slapped in the face by your best friend. During episode 161, Burner Wand, our Potter pondering was, what do you think about the movie putting Harry's first occlumency lesson before the holidays instead of after, like in the book? Hi, Ellen and Katie. It's Megan calling in my Potter pondering. I could not stand in the movie when Snape just dragged Harry down for his first occlumency lesson before they even left for break. It was just so disjointed and abrupt and just awkward. So I hated it. It was very weird to me. But overall, I will say, it was nice that it was a somewhat corresponding film scene, since we don't get many of those. Thanks. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about them moving the occlumency scene? Well, basically moving his first lesson from after his holiday to before. Just kind of downplays the difficulty and seriousness of you know that set of magic and it's wrong you know because in the book Dumbledore really wanted Harry to have that time to recuperate after you know having that brain lock with Voldy and you know living through Nagini for like 15 minutes like he need a break he need you know some time to decompress have a good time and not just here go with your least favorite teacher matter of fact one of your abusers real quick and go learn this right now we must do it now no no i don't like serious Dumbledore. i don't i don't like it they mess it up a bit and they downplay the seriousness and the difficulty of this magic subset. They insinuate that you can learn it in a day. Harry wasn't going to learn enough or nothing to stop anything from happening while he was on vacation. Nothing. Nothing. He, he don't like Snape. It's not going to work. What? But I get it. We got to squeeze it in. Do it now. Do it right now. Right now before it's too late. Come on now. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. It's Quincy. 
As far as the placement of Harry's first lesson, I'm not really too torn up about it. Like, I don't disagree with it. I don't agree with it either. Like, I, would I prefer it be in the correct spot? Sure. But eh, it didn't really take anything from the story. It didn't add anything to the story. It's almost like they didn't actually expand on it anyway. So it was like, did he have one lesson and then we didn't see him do another? Like, it was just there. Yeah. I don't have too much else to add to that. Hey, this is Jessica calling in my pottering for this week about the Aquamancy lesson being in the wrong spot in the movie. To me, it's the idea that Harry had to go with Snape and remain at the school while the others left immediately to Grimmauld Place or to go see Arthur in the hospital. It feels like they're ignoring how much a part of the Weasley family Harry was. By this point, it was a given that Harry would automatically go with Ron, Ginny, Jordan, Fred after what happened because he is officially Molly and Arthur's eighth child. And then, of course, by them switching the placement, we also don't get the interaction between Sirius and Severus, which is a tragedy and fuck Yates because it would have been amazing to see those two go head to head again with Harry in the middle and also because of the slopperoo, we also didn't get Harry spiraling out, thinking he's possessed and terrified he might hurt someone, which then loops back around to them cutting out the great scene of Harry and Ginny, where she reminds him that she had been possessed. Like, see all of the things that went wrong because they had to put the scene in the wrong spot. Like, why? At first, I was going to say, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, at least they had it in there at all. But the more I thought about it, the more it really started to bother me and unravel all the shit that got messed up because of it. Like, leave the book alone. It is the way it is for a reason. I honestly don't believe they even read it before adapting the script. More like the cliff notes or something. Because the big stuff is there, sure. But the little things you only get from the actual book are left out, even though they're just important. And this is one of those things where it's like, why did it have to be earlier? What was the point? Like, I just, I don't understand the point of that. Oh, let's take Harry down the thing. No. There's no point in making it any earlier. So just put it where it's supposed to be and put the stuff that was supposed to be in that spot where it should be like oh stop messing with it just yeah so clearly i'm fired up about this happy holidays guys thank you so much for your responses our trivia question last week was who was convicted for murdering gideon and fabian pruitt as stated in the daily prophet antonin dalahov was convicted for the brutal murders of gideon and fabian pruitt Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! This stopped Megan from starting up a new streak. So maybe Mike will be starting up a new streak? No, we shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and a corresponding film scene, plus a scene that corresponds with an earlier chapter, though not at all in the same way. Chapter 25. 
The Beetle at Bay, Part 1. Harry's question about what made Voldemort so happy is answered the next morning when Hermione smooths out her copy of the Daily Prophet and yelps. Everyone in the area stares at her as Harry and Ron both ask her what. She moves the newspaper in front of them and points at the ten black and white photographs of nine wizards and a witch, each captioned with a name and the crime that sent them to Azkaban. The names include Antonin Dolohov, convicted of the brutal murders of Gideon and Fabian Pruitt, and Augustus Rookwood, convicted of leaking Ministry of Magic secrets to he who must not be named. But Harry's eyes are drawn to the witch, who is labeled Bellatrix Lestrange, convicted of the torture and permanent incapacitation of Frank and Alice Longbottom. Hermione nudges Harry and points at the headline, which reads, Mass Breakout from Azkaban! Ministry Fears Black is Rallying Point for Old Death Eaters! Harry loudly begins to protest about it being blamed on Black, but Hermione shushes him and tells him just to read it. The article explains that 10 high-security prisoners escaped in the early hours of the previous evening, the Muggle Prime Minister has already been informed and that they are in the same position they were two and a half years ago when murderer Sirius Black escaped. They figure the two events are related, especially since Bellatrix Lestrange is Sirius Black's cousin. Harry is furious that they are blaming the breakout on Sirius, and Hermione bitterly points out that he doesn't really have any other option since he can't really say, sorry, Dumbledore warned me this might happen. The Azkaban guards have joined Lord Voldemort, and now Voldemort's worst supporters have broken out too. Especially since he's spent the last six months telling everyone that Dumbledore and Harry are both liars. She then begins to read the report inside the paper, and Harry looks around the Great Hall, surprised that no one else seems to know what has happened, aside from up at the staff table, where they all look extremely grave and distracted, and Professor Umbridge is scowling and shooting malevolent glances towards McGonagall and Dumbledore, who are deep in conversation. His attention is drawn back to Hermione when she says, Oh my, and shows him and Ron an article about the death of Broderick Bode, who had been strangled by a potted plant in his hospital bed at St. Mungo's. His health had been steadily improving, so his healer encouraged him to look after the plant himself, thinking it was flitter bloom, when it turned out to be a cutting of devil's snare, and they don't know how the plant came to be on the premises. Ron thinks the name Bode rings a bell, and Hermione reminds him that they saw him in the bed opposite Lockhart's, and that they were there when the devil's snare arrived. Harry is horrified that they didn't recognize it, since they could have stopped it from happening if they had. But Ron responds that it isn't their fault, because who expects Devil's Snare to turn up in a hospital disguised as a potted plant? He blames whoever sent the plant, calling them a prat for not checking what they were buying. Hermione points out that it wasn't an accident, but very clever murder. Harry remembers meeting him in the elevator on his way to his hearing, and when he shares this with his friends, Ron remembers that his dad told him that Bode was an unspeakable. They all look at each other for a moment, and then Hermione looks back down at the ten pictures on the front of the prophet before jumping up, muttering about sending a letter, not sure if it will work, but being the only one who can. She hurries from the Great Hall, leaving Ron and Harry to make their own way out, as Ron grumbles about hating when she does that. 
They are distracted by Hagrid, who tries to greet them with a smile, but really only manages a grimace. Harry asks if he's okay, and learns that Hagrid has been put on probation. Ron asks about it, and Hagrid mentions that he expected it, since his inspection didn't go too well. He excuses himself to put some chili powder on some salamander scale rot, and Harry watches him trudge away, wondering how much more bad news he can stand. Hagrid's probation becomes public knowledge over the next few days, but no one else seems really upset by it, and some people, like Draco Malfoy, are positively gleeful about it. No one else seems concerned about the freakish death of the Department of Mysteries employee, but the main topic of conversation revolves around the escaped Death Eaters, with rumors going around that they've been spotted in Hogsmeade and are hiding out in the Shrieking Shack just like Sirius Black did. Those from wizarding families that grew up hearing the names speak of them with almost as much fear as they do Voldemort, and relatives of their victims are receiving some unwanted attention for their connection to them. Harry is also once again the subject of muttering and pointing in the corridors, but this time the tone seems different as no one seems very satisfied with the prophet's version of why and how ten Death Eaters broke out of Azkaban. In addition to this, teachers are having conversations in urgent whispers in the corridors, which they break off as soon as they see students approaching since they can't speak freely in the staff room with Umbridge there. Ron wonders if they know anything, but Harry angrily points out that even if they do, they won't hear about it since Umbridge implemented Decree Number 26, banning teachers from giving students any information that is not strictly related to the subjects they are paid to teach. This one becomes the subject of many jokes, Lee Jordan even pointing out to Umbridge that by the terms of the new rule, she's not allowed to tell Fred and George off for playing Exploding Snap in the back of the class. The next time Harry sees Lee, the back of his hand is bleeding, so he recommends Essence of Mertlap. Harry would have thought that the breakout might have humbled Umbridge a little, but instead it seems to have intensified her fury, and it is clearly only a matter of time before she sacks a teacher. The only question is if it will be Professor Trelawney or Hagrid who goes first. All of the divination and care of magical creatures lessons are monitored by Umbridge with both teachers struggling under the stress of the scrutiny. Trelawney becomes increasingly hysterical and gives off a powerful smell of cooking sherry, and Hagrid starts following Hermione's advice, but also seems to have lost his nerve and is very jumpy during lessons. He is also more distant with Harry, Ron, and Hermione, forbidding them to visit him after dark to protect all of them. Harry feels like Umbridge is slowly taking away everything he loves about Hogwarts, and takes his revenge the only way he can, by redoubling his efforts for the DA. He is pleased to see that all of the members, including Zachariah Smith, are working harder than ever, spurred by the news of the ten escaped Death Eaters, but no one's improvement is more pronounced than Neville's. He doesn't mention seeing them at St. Mungo's, or anything about Bellatrix and her fellow torturer's escape, but works so relentlessly on every new jinx and curse that his rate of improvement is unnerving, and when Harry teaches them the shield charm, the only person who masters it faster than Neville is Hermione. Harry wishes he's improving as quickly in occlumency, but instead he feels he's getting worse. His scar constantly prickles, he feels random lurches of annoyance or cheerfulness, and he's dreaming about the corridor to the Department of Mysteries almost every night. 
Hermione wonders if it might be like an illness that has to get worse before it gets better, but Harry insists that it's the lessons with Snape that are making it worse. Ron wonders if Snape isn't really trying to help Harry and is actually opening his mind wider to make it easier for you-know-who, but Hermione tells him to shut up because they've suspected Snape so many times and have always been wrong. She reminds them that Dumbledore trusts him, and if they can't trust Dumbledore, they can't trust anyone. This movie section picks up with the camera focusing on the dark mark on someone's forearm with a creepy whisper in voiceover. It cuts to a woman with long, unkempt brown hair and long, sharp nails leaning forward and licking the same tattoo on her arm before becoming distracted by an explosion sound. She looks in the direction of the sound and the camera switches to show smoke and dust and then back to the woman as she walks towards it and out an opening on the side of a demolished stoned building. She begins laughing maniacally as the camera zooms out, showing dementors flying around the rubble, and then the rest of Azkaban prison, with a large chunk blown away from the top of it. The image transitions into a picture in the Daily Prophet as Cornelius Fudge's voice talks over the articles about a mass breakout from Azkaban. It also shows a headline about the ministry upsetting centaurs and shifts to an article image of the minister as he continues to speak on the breakout and transitions into the scene of him telling reporters and photographers that they strongly suspect the breakout was engineered by notorious mass murderer Sirius Black, since he has experience escaping from Azkaban. As it switches back to different shots of newspaper articles, the minister mentions that he is the cousin of escapee Bellatrix Lestrange, and the movie shows a picture of the witch chained up and screaming. The camera then zooms out from the article image, showing Neville Longbottom holding the newspaper. He lowers it, looking very disconcerted, and the camera cuts to Hermione, Harry, and Ron walking through the Great Hall, as Hermione angrily tells her friends that Dumbledore warned Fudge this would happen, and that he is going to get them all killed, since he can't face the truth. As the trio walk past Seamus Finnegan sitting at a table, he stands up and calls Harry's name. They stop and turn back to look at him as he apologizes to Harry, saying that even his mom says the Prophet's version of things don't add up, and he believes him. Harry looks vaguely pleased to be vindicated, and then the scene cuts to the Room of Requirement, where Neville is standing by himself, looking in the mirror. Harry approaches him, saying his name, and Neville hesitates, but then informs Harry that 14 years ago, the Death Eater Bellatrix Lestrange used the Cruciatus Curse on his parents. The camera cuts to the picture of the original Order of the Phoenix, and focuses on a man in a sweater vest with his arm around a woman with short hair, as Neville continues to explain that she tortured them for information, but they never gave in. He then looks at Harry directly and says he's quite proud to be their son, but he isn't sure he's ready for everyone to know yet. Harry nods in response, and the two look back at the pictures on the mirror. Harry takes a deep breath and promises Neville that they're going to make them proud. The camera switches back to the picture of the Order, this time showing Harry's parents. You know, I'm actually pretty impressed yeah. with how well this section does correspond, even if it left a lot out. Even if in a very weird way, yes. But what they included was pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. And pertinent. Yes. That's another thing, too, because a lot of times, even when stuff does correspond pretty well, it's not important shit. <laughs> and then the important shit doesn't always even make it in. Yeah. Right. Or make it in in the same way. This is actually pretty accurate. Yeah, exactly. So a weird kind of ding, I guess. 
Yeah. Context ding? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But the book chapter starts out reflecting back to how the last one ended, which was Harry wondering what made Voldemort so happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Valid question. Right? I'd be wondering the same fucking thing. I'm not even sure I would be able to sleep wondering that. Yeah. But Harry's mind has been taking some abuse, so maybe he was really tired and passed out. I would say, boy is probably well past due for a nap. Yeah. But the question is answered at breakfast the next morning because Hermione is opening up her copy of the Daily Prophet that she always gets delivered and just yelps. Everybody turns to look at her and Harry and Ron are both like, what? Yeah. Like, don't do that. What? (laughs) Instead of answering, she just turns the newspaper around and, like, smooths it out in front of them and just points. At this point, she probably can't even find the words for it. Look at this fucking shit! (laughs) She's just, like, pounding the paper with her finger at this point. And she's pointing at ten black and white photographs of nine wizards and a witch. Mm Mm-hmm. Equaling ten. Right? (laughs) All captioned by name and crime that sent them to the ban. Sure. So the most notable ones here are Antonin Dolohov, Mm -hmm. who was convicted of the brutal murders of Gideon and Fabian Pruitt. Which was our trivia question. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why that one is notable. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was mentioned. Yeah. They also mentioned Augustus Rookwood, who was convicted of leaking Ministry of Magic secrets to he who must not be named. And this one we actually knew before. Yeah, it was mentioned in Goblet of Fire. Mm -hmm. So that's a little callback there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually even mentioned in the movie. What? I know, it's crazy. When Karkaroff's in the cage thing and they're testing him and he's like, oh, I got names, I got names, I got names. That That was was one one of the the names. names. But then they kind of skip over the other six and jump straight to the one witch in the mix. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Harry is going to because it's a familiar name for multiple reasons. Yeah. Number one, saw him on his dog father's tapestry. Right. So familiar face as well. Number two, specifically just mentioned to Ron and Hermione not that long ago that this is Bellatrix Lestrange, who was convicted of the torture and permanent incapacitation of Frank and Alice Longbottom, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Neville's parents. Exactly. Which we learned all about in the book already. More than once, even. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's so distracted by the pictures, he hasn't even read the headline yet, so Hermione, like, pokes him and points again, still mm-hmm. not using her words. Yeah. So Harry reads the headline, which says... Mass breakout from Azkaban. Ministry fears black is rallying point for old Death Eaters. And Harry just immediately says, what the fuck? (laughs) But Hermione shushes him because he's drawing more attention like her Yelp did. Right. And says, just read it. So she finally found some words. Still nothing useful. Just read it. Just read it. Shut the fuck up. Commentary not necessary. Go. Yeah. (laughs) So as the headline and the presence of 10 pictures suggests, Mm -hmm. 10 high security prisoners escaped from the van the previous evening. So Mm -hmm. now we definitely know why Voldy's so happy. Yeah. Seems like good news for him. Yeah, he's getting some of his people back. But the article also mentions that they've already notified the Muggle Prime Minister. That's a good thing. And says something about how they find themselves in the same position they were in two and a half years ago when the murderer Sirius Black escaped and that they think the two escapes are related 
especially since Bellatrix Lestrange and Sirius Black are cousins. Now, had Dumbledore not specifically told Fudge that this was going to happen, right? That's not an unreasonable conclusion. It's not, although I will point out the fact that Sirius's escape was a little more, how do we put it, elegant? <laughs> it wasn't just like blast and go. It was like there was nuance to it, you know? It wasn't just a wham bam, thank you, man. No, it wasn't like, hey, let's turn the ban into Swiss cheese and everybody gets the fuck out. It was like it, there was levels to it, man. Not quite Swiss cheese. It was more like they just took a bite out of it. Well, true. <laughs> but naturally, Harry's pissed off that they're blaming his dog father for this because he knows that Sirius is innocent. Well, yeah. He knows he's not a murder muncher. He knows that he has nothing to do with this at all. Yeah, he knows that he hates his fucking family and right. everything that they stand for. So it's just a repeated, what the fuck? Yeah. But Hermione, being the logical one, points out that it's not like... Fudge can just be like, sorry, Dumbledore said this was going to happen. Yeah. Oops, guys. Fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like he can tell the truth and say the band guards have joined you know who because he's actually back even though all this time I've been saying that Dumbledore and Harry are lying about it. Right. My bad. Oops, a doodles. Hmm. No, he is going to just double down on his little lie. It is his baby. Yeah. He cannot let it go. You almost can't blame him. I mean, I can't blame him, but at the same time, I can fucking blame him. I can blame him for sure. I can think he's a dumbass all day long because he is. But the repercussions of him admitting that he was wrong and he fucked up, they're pretty huge, as we do come to find out. Oh, yeah. No, it's exactly what Hermione was saying. Like, what else can yeah. he do? And it's only a matter of time before it blows up in his face anyway, but yeah, at this point, desperately protecting that lie. Yeah, this is the Titanic, and he is, Bruce is May hopping right into a fucking lifeboat with the women and children. Yep. You know? But anyway, Hermione flips inside the paper to keep reading it, and Harry starts looking around at everybody else and is kind of surprised because nobody else seems to know what happened. Because nobody else gets the Daily Prophet. That is just Hermione. The only other people in the Great Hall that seem to know what the hell happened is the staff table, mm. which yeah. makes sense. Sure. And that's apparent because they're all up there looking extremely grave and they're very distracted while they're trying to eat. And and Pepto Bitch Mall just has this scowl on her face and just as she eats, keeps glaring at McGonagall and Dumbledore who are deep in conversation. Which is obvious that they're discussing what they just read. Right. <laughs> you know Pepto Bitchmall just wants in on that. You know she wants to make some comment. I don't know that she necessarily wants in on that. She definitely wants to be the fly that her bow looks like on top of her head <laughs> on the wall in that conversation. That is true. So the movie definitely includes this information and actually does so pretty accurately, like we said before, just in more of a montage way that Yates seems to prefer for this film. Seriously. But we start this movie section back in Azkaban, where we left off about like four fucking episodes ago. Because <laughs> again, jumping around a bit. Just a bit. Mm-hmm. Weird dude is staring at his moving tattoo before we cut to a batshit crazy looking woman who we swear we know from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
And she is also inspecting her ink and even goes so far as to lick her arm. Maybe it's one of those flavored tattoos. Like, I'm not even going to lie. It was a little bit hot. It was just this side of like crazy hot. hot. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy hot. I definitely had some conflicting feelings for sure. It was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we hear a not at all unsettling explosion that makes us wonder if maybe Seamus is around somewhere. I do somehow doubt that Seamus was involved in the mass breakout of Azkaban. I mean, yeah, it's unlikely. I can see how you got there. He's got a reputation. That's all I'm saying. He's got a booming reputation. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. He's got a really explosive personality. You know what <laughs> I mean? Anyway, Crazy Witch, she looks in the direction of the boomy noise, and we get a glimpse of dust and debris in the air before we see her walking towards an opening in the wall that I am pretty sure should not be there. It doesn't look like the proper way to feng shui a prison. No. I mean, and it's a run-down prison. There's, like, kind of openings that seem to just jut out. But this seems very off. She goes on to prove that this is not a normal thing to be in the side of the building by cackling like only the batshit crazy can. Like only Helena Bonham Carter can. It's a beautiful cackle. I mean, again, a little bit turned on. I don't even have the confidence to pretend to try that laugh when I'm by myself. No, it's glorious. It really it is. It really is. And I love it. She was born to play that part. But anyway, we'll get to that. But she cackles and we really get to see the damage that occurred. Like there's a whole ass chunk just gone from the building right where she's standing. Coincidence? Hmm. I, I think, think not. not. We then get a good view of Dementors flying around the building because, again, this is the movie and they fucking fly. <laughs> you okay? You know, I had like a whole movie where I didn't have to worry about this shit. And they're back. I didn't have to think about them and I was just spoiled. And now they're back and they're fucking flying around the building and the building is starting to look like Swiss cheese, like we said. Or like I said, just the bite taken out of the top. Just like a bite taken out. Yeah, for sure. Although I gotta wonder, there had to have been more holes because like 10 people escaped. So there had to have been more holes eventually. Oh no, that was totally the murder muncher ward. Why would you keep them all in the same place? That seems like very ill-planned prisoning. What I want to know is, was it only those 10 murder munchers or did a couple other stragglers in the high security area get out too and then just get killed because they weren't wanted? <laughs> Oh, I bet they got out and then they snuck out with the crowd and then went their separate way. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 do. Yeah, everyone was like, hey, what happened to murderous Larry? And they were like, oh, I don't know, but we got more important shit to deal with. We got these 10 murder munchers that fucking escaped. Conveniently from all of the same spots. Yeah. Maybe it's a bad idea to link those cells together. Just saying. Maybe. Just throwing that out there. But... We then transition to the front page of the Daily Prophet in a move reminiscent of Alfonso Cuaron's direction of Prisoner of Azkaban. We hear Corny Fudge's voice giving an interview in which he talks about the recent escapes from the ban. And in a classic political move, he digs out the Wizarding World's favorite scapegoat, 
or I guess perhaps in this case, scape dog. He is in fact a scape dog. Sirius Black as being the one to blame for the escapes. Despite the fact that he hasn't been brought up since Prisoner of Azkaban after decidedly never being caught. Because why carry on plot lines from movie to movie? Why do that? I mean, it's kind of like the real world, really. Like, once more interesting news stories come up, you forget about the old ones. So I guess it kind of goes in with human nature, I suppose. But in this case, Corny Fudge decides, fuck it, let's bring that one back. Because that's how scapedogging works. Oh, definitely. To be fair, he does make a decent point that Sirius was the only known escapee from the ban. So it would stand to follow that he would know how to get his murder muncher buddies out as well. He gets all the blame. Again, scapedogging. He gets scapedogged. That's how it works. We then see more newspaper articles mentioning the escapees, namely the one of Bellatrix Lestrange, who is crazy Gary Oldman's crazy cousin Helena. Because she's damn near crazier than he is. Not damn near. She is. No. I wouldn't mind seeing a crazy off between them, though. Right? I kind of just want their wanted posters next to each other. Side by side screaming. Yeah. I think that would be pretty glorious, actually. Yeah. It's a lot of crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Because really, had we met Bellatrix first before Sirius? Sirius probably wouldn't have been crazy Gary Oldman. No, this would just be crazy Helena Bonham Carter. And it would have been fitting. A lot more syllables, but, you know. It still flows off the tongue quite well. I will say that much. Moving on before I make a dirty joke. We then zoom out of the newspaper montage to see Neville looking a little bit like someone just shit in his pumpkin juice. Like, right in front of him. That's an image that I didn't need. I think you mean that's an image you didn't know you needed. No. No, because I really pictured somebody just squatting over his pumpkin juice (laughs) with his robes up. And I didn't need it. I didn't need it, but it's there now. But tell me that's not what Neville's face looks like. I would have gone with maybe spit. Yeah, well, that's the difference between you and me, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Spit and shit. That's the difference. Oh, that got weird. But we then see the trio walking through the Great Hall as Hermione states the obvious about Corny Fudge being stupid, even though Dumbledore warned him about all this shit that was going to go down. Yeah. And this definitely condenses down the conversation that the trio have about it in the book. Mm-hmm. This is also the first indication the movie gives us of Neville's connection to Bellatrix, even though, as we said before, the book has already spelled that out for us. A couple times. Yeah, more yeah. than once. In other <laughs> books, even. Yeah. <laughs> but the movie also completely omits Bode's murder. Well, basically Bode in general. Mm-hmm. Because this is the point in the book that we learned the potted plant he received as a Christmas gift was actually Devil's Snare and his demise. Bode who? Right. Is he a friend of Peeves or? Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in the book, Hermione's reading through articles and just says, oh my, which causes Harry to have a near heart attack. And he's just like, what? What? Don't do that. (laughs) Just tell me. And so she tells them that he was strangled by the potted plant. And then Ron's sitting there going, Bode, Bode, that sounds familiar. See friends with Peeves? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But Hermione says, hello, he was at St. Mungo's in the bed across from Lockhart's. We literally saw him. Mm -hmm. We actually saw him get the potted plant. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a good example of just how empathetic Harry is, I guess you could say. Because his immediate reaction upon this connection is to be horrified. They've seen Devil's Snare before. They know what it looks like. And he's horrified that they didn't recognize it at that time because had they, they could have prevented this. Right. To be fair to them, they had a lot going on at that moment. They did. And as Ron says, who would expect Devil's Snare to show up disguised as a potted plant? But he's also you know, not Ravenclaw, and sitting there going, really, it's the person who gave him the plant's fault. What a prat. Why wouldn't they check what they are buying first? And Hermione's just like Ronald. Oh, Ron. They weren't being a prat. They were being a murderer. This was a very clever murder because they sent the plant anonymously. So there's no way to trace it back to who sent it and therefore who killed him. But the reason why they did that, as the article mentions, is that he was steadily improving. Mm -hmm. He was getting better. And there was a really good chance he actually saw who put him under the Imperius curse to try and make him go through that door. Yeah. So if he does improve... He can name names. Yeah, he could name names. He could be a witness that Voldemort is back. Yeah. Aside from the Order... Everyone has reason for him to go away. Yeah. Voldemort's people have reason for him to go away. The ministry has reason for him to go away. So here's the question. Was it Voldemort's people who killed him or was it the ministry people who killed him? Was it Voldemort's people in the ministry that killed him? That's probably the most likely. Yeah. (laughs) When in doubt, combine the two. Right. Anyway, going through all of this stuff, it clicks for Harry that he actually met this man in the elevator. Mm Mm-hmm on his way to his hearing with Mr. Weasley. Like injured, Mr. Weasley called him by name and everything. Yeah. Ron remembers that his dad has mentioned Bode before as well and shares that he's an unspeakable. Mm-hmm. So at this news, they all just kind of look at each other for a moment. And then Hermione looks back down at all of the escapees, their pictures on the Daily Prophet, And just jumps up saying something about how she needs to send a letter. She's not sure if it's going to work, but she's the only one who can. And she just grabs her bag and runs out of there, leaving Ron to be like, what the fuck, Hermione? Right. Super descriptive. Thanks for that. It would take you just two more seconds to tell us (laughs) where you're going. I hate it when she does that. Right. I mean, at least it's not the movie where we definitely didn't see anything like that at all. Because that ties into a plot point that Yates just decided it doesn't matter. Why bother? Apparently, because they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) But Ron and Harry start making their own much slower way out of the Great Hall. But their curiosity over where she went and what she's doing is distracted by the arrival of Hagrid, who tries to smile and say hi to them, but really only just kind of grimaces. Yeah. And I would have loved to see this. I loved Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. I just think he could have done this so cutely. I think it would have been fucking adorable. Yeah. Harry wants to know if he's okay, and Hagrid confesses that he's been put on probation. Probation? That's not a thing in the movie. No, it's not. Ron goes, probation? (laughs) And then as everyone looks around, he's just like, sorry, you were put on probation? Thanks for keeping it on the down low, guy. Appreciate that. Right. And this part cracks me up so much because Hagrid says that he doesn't know if they noticed, but his inspection didn't really go well. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely got that impression, guy. Yeah. For sure. So he was expecting this probation to happen. 
Mm-hmm. He also mentions that he's got some salamanders with scale rot, so he excuses himself to go put some chili powder on their tails. Like you do. Sure. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Totally normal. <laughs> and Harry just watches them walk away, and he's just like, fuck me. How much more bad news do I have to take? Yeah. Because it's all about you, Harry. <laughs> I mean... It is all about him. The series is literally called Harry Potter and everything happens to him. It just keeps coming. It really does. One the thing after another after another coming. after another. It's like a time life anthology, man. The hits just keep on coming. Yeah. He's been having a rough year. Yes. He's been having a rough I life. I was going to say, we, <laughs> we started a while back on the roughness. <laughs> But, you know, probably because Ron's yelling about it in the corridors, Hagrid's probation becomes public knowledge over the next few days. Mm-hmm. Harry's annoyed because nobody else seems to be bothered by it. And then there are people like Nazi von Douchebag II who are positively joyful over the news. No Shocker, surprise. right? Yeah. Nobody else is talking about the freakish death of the Department of Mysteries employee. Not at all phased by the fact that somebody gifted a deadly plant to a man in a hospital. But what everyone is talking about is all of the escaped murder munchers. And that makes sense. Well, yeah, of course. That's pretty big news. Definitely. That's about the biggest news you can possibly get short of them actually publishing the news that Voldemort has in fact returned. Right. Which they have not done. And it's just leaving people to come up with their own theories and rumors, such as the murder munchers have been spotted in Hogsmeade and they're hiding out in the Shrieking Shack, just like Sirius Black did. Yeah. Because that's what they did. They took 10 escaped murder munchers and just shoved them in a house. Yeah. All in the same place, once again. And none of them have actually tried to show up on the grounds, even though they have a direct path to it, supposedly, if they are, in fact, in the Shrieking Shack. Well, I mean, not yet. Give it time. Yeah, apparently. So those that are from wizarding families, the non-muggle families, if you will, Mm -hmm. that actually grew up hearing these names, speak of them with almost as much fear as they do when they say, you know who. Yeah. And then among all of these people are those with relatives that were victims. Yeah. Like Susan Bones. Mm-hmm. who's been getting a lot of unwanted attention for being connected to these murder munchers because she lost an aunt, an uncle, and a cousin or something like that. Oh, yeah. She took a hit. Sure. She lost quite a few family members because of some of these murder munchers that escaped. And she even mentions to Harry how she has an idea of what it's like to be him. And it's kind of awful. She's like, I don't know how you stand this. Yeah. And then along those lines, everybody is talking about Harry again. Mm-hmm. Walk through the corridors, mutter, 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 point, point, point. Right. But this time, their tone seems different. Mm-hmm. And Harry is overhearing bits and pieces and gathering that a lot of people aren't very satisfied with the Daily Prophet's version or, you know, the minister's version of how and why 10 murder munchers were able to break out of the ban. Yeah. Even if Sirius Black was helping them, like, that's still a lot of fucking people to be breaking out of prison. Yeah. Like I said before, we didn't really get any of this from the movie, since the scene was condensed so much. So there were no rumors and definitely no information about Hagrid being on probation. Like, none of that. The closest we got to that was Pepto Bitchmall telling him not to unpack his bags and another comment later on. Like... There was no official probation 
basically. Yeah, and that's really frustrating to me because it made it seem like she just had a hard-on for Trelawney and not really showing how much she was trying to interfere with all of the teachers at Hogwarts. Yeah, it just kind of looked like she was a dick to them, but she wasn't really out to get all of them the way she was in the book. And I really would have liked to see that. I'm kind of curious how our keepers feel about pretty much taking out all of Pepto Bitch Mall's awfulness to Hagrid. Yeah. She had a couple of bitchy comments, but that was it. I mean, she still did enough to be the most hated character even beyond Voldemort, really, for this. But at the same time, it was almost a Snape treatment where they cut out a lot of her little microaggressions. And they cut out a lot of her stuff to where she wasn't as bad as she was in the book. She was still bad. She was definitely still bad, but I almost don't think the term microaggressions work. Is macroaggressions a term? <laughs> Mega aggressions. Mega aggressions. She was just blatantly fucking racist. She was just aggressive as speciest. What like yeah. prejudice. She was just awful. We did see how horrible she was, but I wanted more. I wanted to hate her more. Right? And Imelda Staunton could have totally handled all of that. Oh, but they absolutely. didn't give it to her and fuck them for that. But I think it really took away from Hagrid's side story. Mm-hmm. You didn't get the fear that Hagrid must have felt. You got a little bit of like, oh, he's all, you know, it's changing out there. Better be ready when it does and all that shit. But like... And the way they condensed all of the inspections into one montage scene made it seem like he didn't get inspected at all. So when he's talking about being sacked any day later on, like we mentioned, will come up. Mm -hmm. You're like, based on what? We never saw that. Right. The only thing that we got was her saying, I wouldn't bother bother unpacking at all, you know. And that could have been anything. Like, you can't show up for your job super fucking late. Yeah, exactly. Bye. bye. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, we do kind of get a reference to the attitudes towards Harry changing, though, at least. So that's something. Because... As they make their way through the Great Hall, Seamus stands and calls after Harry to basically be like, so looks like I backed the wrong horse and even my mom stopped being a twat long enough to realize that the government is blowing smoke up our asses. Like, my bad, yo. Sorry. (laughs) Which, that's pretty big of him because Seamus has that Irish stubbornness going on. Oh, yeah. For sure. But Harry just looks at him and he's like, yeah, it is your bad, you arsonist motherfucker. (laughs) And this does actually happen in the book as well. We just aren't quite there yet. Yeah. But it does show that people, in this case specifically Seamus, are starting to realize that Harry's version of shit going down makes a hell of a lot more sense than the ministers. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we will see specifics about that later in the book. Yeah. This is about the only specific we see in the movie, but, you know, it's something at least. It is a reference. Yeah. (laughs) At this point in the book, it's still focused on the news of the escape. Mm -hmm. Because it mentions the teachers are having urgent whispers in the corridor and they break off as soon as students approach. And Hermione figures that it's because they can't speak in the staff room anymore because Pepto Bitch Mall's there, probably being that fucking fly on the wall like a bow on her head. Right, yeah trying to listen in to everything they say and figure out who's betraying the ministry and the Mm -hmm. minister himself. (laughs) And by extension, the minister himself. Ron wonders if they even know anything 
And Harry just kind of angrily says, well, maybe, but even if they do, we're not going to get to hear about it from them because Pepto Bitchball had to implement decree number, what number? 20,000? I don't <laughs> Well, in the book, it's actually 26, which yeah. is hilarious because they're up to like 60 or 70 or 80 or 742. Yeah. But in the book, they're on 26, and it specifically bans teachers from giving students any information that is not strictly related to the subjects they are paid to teach. These decrees are so pointed. So obviously pointed. That's what gets no, me. Right. In other words, no teachers, you are not allowed to discuss the breakouts of the murder munchers from the ban. Mm-hmm. Like, she may as well have just worded it that way. Right. No discussion of current events. None. Or any other events. Or any, yes. Current <laughs> or otherwise. What I love about this is it becomes the subject of many jokes among the students. Mm-hmm. And Lee Jordan and Fred and George Weasley are fucking bad asses. And maybe take the jokes a little too far. What? Them? No. First of all, absolute fucking bosses. Fred and George are playing Exploding Snap in the back of Pepto Bitchmall's class. The balls that you have to do that to start. That's pretty boss. Right. Naturally, it's Exploding Snap. That's not a quiet game. Uh, yeah. So naturally, Pepto Bitchmall catches them. And then Lee Jordan proceeds to say, by the terms of decree number 26, you're not allowed to tell Fred and George off for playing Exploding Snap because that has <laughs> nothing to do with your subject. Yeah. That's boss. I mean. It's fucking badass. As badass as fuck is what it is. It's stupid. Oh, for sure it's stupid. That could have gotten them in some massive, massive trouble. And it did. Yeah, because as it is, the next time Harry sees Lee Jordan, the back of his hand is severely bleeding. And Harry just says, I recommend Essence of Mertlap. But you know what? Worth it. <laughs> kind of, yeah. You know? That'll heal. Yeah. It's only a flesh wound. They are legends for that fucking comment. You know everybody in that class was right? just like, oh! But probably silently in their heads because they're really terrified of Pepto Bitch Mall. Well, yeah. But they absolutely talked about it after the fact. Oh, they did. I'm sorry. Fred, George, and Lee were fucking legends. Yeah. They're just bosses. Yeah. They're bosses because they took that punishment and they kept going. I love it. I love it so much. I would have loved to see it. It would have been great. Goddamn legends. But Harry was kind of surprised to see that Pepto Bitch Mall is not even a little bit humbled by this mass breakout. Mm-hmm. Instead, she just seems to be more pissed than usual. Sure. Which, whew, turning the volume up on that was unnecessary. Right? <laughs> the Scoville units only go so high. Yeah. <laughs> it's now just... A matter of time before she sacks a teacher. Like, she is determined. And the only real question is, will it be Professor Trelawney or will it be Hagrid? Unless you're watching the movie, in which case it is clearly Trelawney because she's already been sacked. Right? So, there's that. Definitely different from the book, where all of the divination and care of magical creature lessons are now being monitored. Every single one of them. She's basically teaching, not really teaching, she doesn't have to prep anything for it, but she is present for three different classes every single week. 
Why give yourself that much more work to do? Just why? Dedication to the evilness, I think. And are you really going to tell me that there is never a moment where a Defense Against the Dark Arts class happens at the same time as Care of Magical Creatures or Divination? Right. Like, is she just canceling her own classes from time to time? Just read this book. Read this chapter. Take notes. That's your homework. I have to monitor this. Okay, it's movie day. Right? (laughs) Brings out the TV cart. And it's just this horrible video lecture. Well, like magic picture frame of probably the author of the book, Wilbert Slinkhard, just reading the chapter to him. They all just fall asleep. It's one of those like 1950s safety videos. This is Timmy. (laughs) Timmy likes to play with his wand. You shouldn't do that, Timmy. You're going to poke your eye out. And then the next scene is like little Timmy with like an eye patch. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like someone didn't listen. Exactly. Yes. Like it's just a bunch of those. Had to do something because she is every single lesson for Hagrid Mm -hmm. and Trelawney. And they both are just caving under the pressure of this. In Trelawney's case, her lessons are just becoming increasingly more and more and more hysterical. And she's answering questions incorrectly and just freaking out and keeps giving off this very powerful smell of cooking sherry. Yeah. She's desperate, man. So she either spilled some on herself or she's been drinking a lot of it. It's in her teacup. Oh, bitch is chugging. Bitch is chugging. In Hagrid's case, he does start following Hermione's advice and is presenting lessons on much less dangerous creatures. Yeah, toning it down a little bit. Yeah, but he also has completely lost his nerve teaching. Mm -hmm. So he does a lot more stuttering and he is also answering questions she asks incorrectly. And then the worst part about it from Harry's perspective is the fact that he's being more distant with him and Ron and Hermione Mm -hmm. and won't even let him come visit him in the evenings anymore because it would not go well for any of them if she catches them with him after dark. Yeah, I was going to say nobody is coming out of that unscathed. Yeah. So Harry's just like, fuck you, Pepto bitch mall. You are slowly and surely taking everything away that I love about Hogwarts. I can't write my godfather or get letters from him. I can't fucking play Quidditch. I can't go visit Hagrid. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't even have my firebolt. You know what? Snape may threaten to kill me with my own potions on a weekly basis, but I will take a weekend at his house any day over this bitch. Right? He will also take his revenge the only possible way he can, which is putting even more effort into his DA meetings. Yep. And it seems like everybody feels that same way because they're all redoubling their efforts. Mm-hmm. And even Zachariah Smith, is working harder than ever. Oh, yeah. He's coming in like he's serious now. Right? The news of 10 escaped murder munchers will do that for you. Right? <laughs> That'll put the fear of Merlin into you. Yeah. I'll tell you what. However, the person who is improving more than anybody else, even to an alarming rate, is none other than Neville Longbottom. I just love when he comes into his own. I know. I just love it so much. He actually doesn't say anything about seeing Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny at St. Mungo's. And they just kind of take their lead from him and they don't mention it either. He doesn't bring up the fact that he has this connection to Bellatrix, even though the newspaper article just outed him for it. Oh, yeah. They totally just were like, 
she did this to these people and this person and Neville's parents. Yeah. Like, very pointedly. So he was probably one of the ones getting a lot of that unwanted attention as well. For sure. But doesn't talk about it. He just starts working so hard mm-hmm. that when Harry gets around to teaching everyone the shield charm, the only person who actually masters it faster than Neville is Hermione. That tells you right there Neville is not fucking around. Not even a little bit. Mm-mm. He's taking this shit seriously. Yeah. And good for him. Yeah. Sweet little baby pumpkin. Yeah. Harry really wishes that he was like that in Occlumency. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's going down the hill. Snape will do that to you. He is getting worse. And then on top of that, it used to just be that his scar would twinge sometimes. And now he's just getting these constant prickles. He's experiencing random lurches of annoyance or cheerfulness or, you know, various things that are completely unconnected to how he actually feels in that moment. Yeah. And he's basically started having the dream about the corridor to the Department of Mysteries almost every single night. And almost every single night, it ends with him standing at the door just desperately wishing he can get in. Yeah. Ongoing. Definitely not getting better. He sucks at closing his mind. I mean, and the more it goes on, the more he has to be getting, like, disheartened by the fact that he can't do it. Which is an emotion that piles on top of other emotions. Exactly. It is definitely a slippery slope. Yeah. Hermione kind of thinks that it might be like an illness where all of that has to get worse before it can get better. Which is not a terrible thought. But Harry's just over there like, "Uh uh-uh. It's the lessons with Snape that's making this worse. This is not (laughs) me getting better. Things are just getting worse. Yeah. Which makes Ron think that Snape might actually deliberately be opening Harry's mind wider to actually help you-know-who and not help Harry. Not the most insane thought Ron's ever had. Well, Hermione, I don't know if she thinks it's the most insane, but she does tell him to shut up because... They've suspected Snape of doing nefarious things so many times, and every single time, they've been wrong. I mean, but law of averages, they've got to be right one of these times, right? I mean, why not this one? It's not, though. It's not, I know, but I'm just saying, hypothetically. Hypothetically. But she reminds them that Dumbledore trusts Snape. Yeah. And if they can't trust Dumbledore, who can they trust? I mean, that's a valid point. Yep. And this is where we cut off the book chapter. And it's actually the movie section that goes on just a little bit more since we have the inclusion of a scene that references an earlier book chapter. So after the scene in the Great Hall with Seamus and Harry, we cut to Harry approaching Neville in the Room of Requirement as he stares at a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix stuck to the mirror. Neville speaks and here is where we finally learn about Neville's parents being tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange way back in the day. Here's where we finally learn in the movie. Yeah, okay, sorry. (laughs) Yes. Here's where we finally learn in the movie about Neville's parents being tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange way back in the day. We get a close-up of the photo that Neville's looking at, and it's focused in on a man in a very stylish sweater vest. Looking good in that sweater vest. He is. He's rocking the sweater vest. And he's got his arms around a woman who has, like, really short, close-cropped hair, which she rocks, by the way. Oh, yeah. Can I just say? I wish I could pull off that haircut. Not how I pictured her from the description in the book, but that's okay. No. No, no, no. But you know what? At least she was there. Right? 
I hate to be the one to say it, but like at least we got something. Yeah. But Neville continues to tell Harry about how Bellatrix tortured them for info, but they were all like, fuck you, bitch. And they never gave in. And that's pretty goddamn boss, really. We really got bilked out of their hero story because there was so much more to it than that. Yeah, Yates' love for streamlining this shit really did take away from a lot of how badass they were, which sets up how badass Neville becomes. Yeah. Or is becoming at this point. Right, yeah, because it's already happening right now. But Neville then looks away from the photo to Harry and tells him that he's proud as fuck to be their son because they were some badass motherfuckers. However... He's just not really all about everyone knowing about them just yet, which is totally fair, really. And I kind of wish that Book Neville had gotten that option. Yeah. But he was never given nope, that they option totally by anyone. they totally just outed him in The Prophet. Mm-hmm, exactly. And even before that, like, he was outed... By his grandmother. Amongst the yeah. trio. Yeah, by his grandmother. And that was on a smaller scale, so obviously that wasn't as bad, as when the prophet outs him, but still, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. But Harry just nods in response, and they both look back at the picture. And Harry takes this moment to make the promise to Neville that they're going to make his parents proud as fuck. But let's be honest, Harry doesn't just mean Neville's parents. You know, the orphan club, they got to stick together, right? So we then see Harry looking at the same picture, only he is focusing on the couple that look just like him, Aww. his parents. And it's really adorable and kind of lovely. And I'm going to go before I cry. Emotional moment. Yeah. Sad panda. And on that note, it'll bring us to the end of this movie section now, too. And we actually have some actors to talk about. Woohoo! Right? It's pretty fun. First off, we've got Helena Bonham Carter as Crazy Gary Oldman's Crazy Cousin Helena. Or, you know, Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, her too. Sure. She was just boss as hell. And we're going to see her much more in her glory later on in the movie. But this starts it off with that cackle. And the licking of her arm. And the licking of the arm, which She's again, just so crazy. Crazy hot. What? Who said that? She's just so crazy. She is very crazy. Just brilliantly crazy. I don't think there was another person who could have played Bellatrix. No. And I know that they originally had Helen McRory down to play her. Yes. But I can't say I'm even remotely sorry that that didn't work out. No. Honestly, I can't imagine the two of them being in opposite roles or even just Helen McRory being Bellatrix. I can't picture it. I mean, she was a great actress and I'm sure she would have done wonderful, but nobody can crazy like Helena Bonham Carter can crazy. Very, very true. And also like... I mean, I know I said it before, but also weirdly turn you on at the same time. Like, you. Yes. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, turn me on a little bit at the same time. There we go. I'll say it. That's fine. I'm down. Yeah. She was <laughs> phenomenal. And I can't wait to expand on this when we get to some of her other scenes. Yes. Oh, she's got some real crackers coming up and I'm so looking forward to them. Uh, we also briefly saw James Payton as Frank Longbottom. Mm -hmm. Granted, this was just in picture form, but he fucking rocked that sweater vest. He did. I'm really disappointed that we did not get more from 
Frank and Alice Longbottom other than just this photo because we also had Lisa Wood as Alice Longbottom. Exactly. Yeah. And it was just them being an adorable couple smiling and waving up from this photograph. Mm hmm. And honest to God, seeing Lisa Wood as Alice, I would have loved to have just seen her walk up to Neville with a little gum wrapper. Right. They deserved the opportunity to be Neville's parents as more than a moving photograph. Honestly, they struck me as a young Molly and Arthur. I could see that. Just kind of the look of them and just the sweetness in their faces. Mm -hmm. And I've actually gotten to meet James Payton before. Mm -hmm, you did. That's right. He was one of the guests at the Ironton Wizard Fest. Mm -hmm. And dude is hilarious. Yeah, he looks like he would be. Yeah, he's so funny. He's also really nice, and he is a really good actor. Mm -hmm. On top of that, he's one of the most involved cast members interacting with fans and stuff. Like, he constantly likes our things. He does. Yeah, he follows us on Instagram and Twitter, and he always likes our stuff. It's so nice to, like, like oh, look, we feel fancy. <laughs> yeah. He's really nice, but he's very active with mm -hmm. all fans. And I really appreciate that appreciation back. Yeah. But yeah, I really would have loved to have the opportunity to see him be Frank Longbottom in the hospital. For sure. I bet you anything he could have done the kind of crazy, tortured to insanity character really, really well. Oh, yeah. The blank look, everything. I think he could have really nailed it. Yeah. But he got bilked, so we got bilked. Yep. Boo. And with that being said, that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, what are your thoughts on the movie basically leaving out Hagrid's probation? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Ava. She writes, Hey Ellen and Katie, my name is Ava. I absolutely love your podcast. I just wanted to share my Sorting Hat story with you, so here you go. I'm a Gryffindor, my Patronus is an Ibethan Hound, and my wand is Aspenwood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and a half inches, and reasonably supple flexibility. I was always reading, especially anything fantasy. Everyone was always telling me to start reading Harry Potter since it was one of the best book series out there. However, I never did only because it was so hyped up. When I was 10, though, I came across the audiobook of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and started listening. And then I fell in love with it. I soon watched all the movies and read all the books up to the Half-Blood Prince. I couldn't read The Deathly Hallows, though. I had fallen so much in love with the series that I couldn't bear to let it end. I haven't read The Deathly Hallows till today, either. Me loving the series so much led me to write fanfiction and soon post it on Wattpad. I'm currently writing a fanfiction about how James and Lily finally got together after years of Lily hating James. I started listening to Swish and Flick, a Harry Potter podcast, and that let me find you ladies. After three months of listening, I finally caught up on all the episodes. I really enjoy listening to you, and you make me laugh a lot. Hope you're doing great. Can't wait for the next episode. Bye! 
That's impressive. I'm sorry, three months for three years worth of episodes? That's impressive. Well done, honey. What I want to know is when she said that she hasn't read The Deathly Hallows till today, does that mean she just recently read it or she still hasn't read it? I don't blame her either way. Right? You got to let us know. (laughs) Yep. Fill us in on that one. And thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Ava. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is... What does Rita Skeeter call Hermione when they meet up at the Three Broomsticks? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag exactly will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.